Coming up on the Rami Lavi podcast, a wild 18 hours leads to Aaron Judge back with the Yankees. I did an open on the Yankees re-signing Aaron Judge because I had already recorded the episode and said that Judge had not yet signed with the Yankees. So I did an open on Judge re-signing. I also talked a lot of NFL on this episode, gave you my power rankings for week 13 in the NFL and a whole lot of other stories from around the NFL. We examined the Minnesota Vikings and their great season. Is it for real or not? All that and a whole lot more coming up next on the Rami Levy podcast. Stay tuned. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so I recorded a whole podcast, and as I predicted, I tweeted this last night. The second I finished recording, uh, Aaron Judge is going to sign with the Yankees. It's imminent, or I said with anyone. Um, He does sign with the Yankees, you know by now. I talked about the whole back and forth and the timeline and the drama of it on the podcast, so you'll hear that coming up. But I guess this is my instant reaction to the Yankees signing Aaron Judge. Well, never a doubt, right? We knew we were going to get him. Uh, The Yankees proved that they are still the big bad Yankees. No matter what was happening, no matter what was going on, they had a guy that they wanted to get and they went and got him. There were some moments that it felt like they weren't going to get him. We now heard from Andy Martino that maybe some of that stuff was staged, particularly the TMZ video from the Judge camp was staged. Um, We heard that actually the Yankees, or Aaron Judge, I should say, flew in to San Diego late last night, not to meet with the Giants, but to meet with the San Diego Padres who offered him a 10-year, $400 million contract. Now, the one thing I talked about on the podcast yesterday was that maybe this news and the John Heyman piece of it uh, coming out, maybe that would put more pressure on the Yankees. And apparently it did because sources say that it was Hal Steinbrenner who called up Aaron Judge, said, do you want to be a Yankee? He said, yes. He said, what will it take? He said, a ninth year. And that was it. The offer was eight years, 320. And Hal decided, all right, now it's nine years, 360. And it was a done deal. The two of them, Aaron and Hal, settled it on the phone together, which tells you everything we know already about this organization. Boone is a mouthpiece. Cashman is a puppet. That's what it is. So where from here for the Yankees? They're paying three players now over $300 million. That's the first franchise in history to have three players on a $300 million contract simultaneously. Obviously, Cole, Judge, and Stanton. It's only worth it, though. The contract to Aaron Judge is only worth it if the Yankees then go out and spend elsewhere. It's crazy that you've spent $900 million on three players, and the only way to make it pay off is for everyone else to play well, for everyone else to be a part of this. So whether that's going to get a shortstop, a left fielder, Carlos Rondon, whatever it is, trading Labor Torres, whatever they plan on doing, the Aaron Judge contract is only worth the money if he pulls through, if he wins. Now, Aaron Judge, from his perspective, that's the ultimate bet on yourself, right? By not taking the Yankees contract... When he turned it down last season, he earned himself two more years and $146.5 million, the ultimate bet on yourself for Aaron Judge. Now, there was a moment in time when I thought Aaron Judge would not be a Yankee, and the way I felt about it was, like I said, I, I wasn't sure how to feel about it. I wasn't devastated, but I'm happy he stayed. This just proves, like I said, the Yankees are the Yankees. You have to keep your own, whether it's an overpay, whether the last few years of that contract look bad. None of that matters. He's a Yankee for life. I was angry at the team when I thought he was gone. During those moments when I thought he was gone, I wasn't angry. I wasn't sad that like a great Yankee left like I would have been if Derek Jeter signed elsewhere. I was angry, angry at the Yankees. But ultimately, Hal got it done. But I'm not going to give him too much credit. I'm not going to say, congratulations, Hal Steinbrenner, you kept your own. Remember, this happened with DJ LeMahieu. The same thing happened where the Yankees led us on and we got so nervous. It was so shaky at the end that we thought that the Yankees were not going to get DJ LeMahieu. That finally, when they got him, it was like, okay, this offseason is a victory. No, 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 no. Keeping your own is not a victory for the Yankees. Keeping your own is what you're supposed to do. Now you have to to win the offseason. Now you have to go out and add more. They got Tommy Canley. I like that move. Go get a starting pitcher. Go get some other help. 
for the San Diego Padres is just sad. In the last three days, they've had two superstar players take a total of $80-plus million less to go elsewhere. Kind of sad that San Diego Padre franchise is in shambles. Also, Met fans are making fun that the Yankees, I see them online making fun. Oh, the Yankees, blah, blah, blah. Maybe they're sour that they couldn't keep their own best player. And they did the right thing. They went out and signed Verlander immediately. I don't trust that the Yankees, if they wouldn't have gotten Judge done, they would have gone out and signed someone else to replace him. There's no one who can replace him. But the Mets fans who are like, oh, it's a terrible contract, but we're clowning on the Yankees yesterday. Oh, you lost Judge to the Giants. You can't have it both ways. Look, you had to bring him back. The Yankees did what they have to do. They're still the Yankees. They still do what they have to do. He's now going to be the captain. He's a Yankee for life. Good for him. Good for the Yankees. He earned the contract. But now he's getting paid like that. So the expectations are on. The way for him really to earn it, like I said, he's earned it till now. But the way for him to really earn it, he's got to go out there. He's got to perform. He's got to win a championship. Otherwise, he'll just be another maybe forgotten Yankee or this contract will become a hated contract. Every Yankee fan loves it today. The only way to make it actually work is to put a team around him and for him to perform in the biggest spots. So uh, congratulations to the Yankees and to Aaron Judge. Now let's get to work on the actual offseason. All right, that's all I got on this. Um, and But there's a lot more. Whole podcast. I talked about this. I talked about the Yankees. I talked about how I feared that he would go to the Giants because that's legitimately what it felt like uh, last night. Talking about football and a whole bunch of other stuff. So let's get into the rest of the podcast. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in another 48 hours. Plus, you can exchange unlimited text messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. So I talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything. One of the things that I learned in therapy was that join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami La Vie podcast, episode 119, 119, 119 episodes, kind of is something, I guess. Celebrate the little things, right? Milestones. Um, on this episode, it was an interesting day. It's, again, super late. It's Tuesday night now. It's the Wednesday episode. I'm recording super late on Tuesday night, and here's why. If you're not following, maybe you're not a huge baseball fan. Maybe you're not a huge sports fan, um, and I appreciate you listening if you're neither of those things. Um, maybe you're listening for the football content, which we've been doing and keeping up these last few weeks, and I've been enjoying it immensely. I hope everyone else has as well. Um, and I did tease on the last two episodes that I did want to talk about baseball coming up. I didn't think it would be the lead of the podcast, though. I didn't think we'd be starting this episode talking about baseball. But here we are. We're talking about baseball. And that's because today was the day that the entire baseball world got played. If you're a Yankee fan, you definitely did. John Heyman, shout out to you. Uh, this is going to be a day that goes down in history as now uh, news comes in. This is live to the minute. Jamison Tyone is going to the Cubs. Uh, I'm going to pull up Twitter here because it is late here on the East Coast, but out on the West Coast. I uh, still got a feeling there's stuff that's going to happen, stuff that's uh, brewing out there. Um, and that's where the winter meetings are. That's where it is presumed that Aaron Judge is currently. Uh, so just to catch you up to date, if you've been living under a rock and you don't know what's going on, I want to start, I guess I'll start with Monday Night Football because, yes, this is a baseball story, but it started at Monday Night Football. It started in Tampa last night and Tom Brady beating... The New Orleans Saints that come back, and we'll get to that later in the episode. But 
Aaron Judge, free agent baseball player. And by the way, uh, ESPN put up the graphic. It says Aaron Judge, AL MVP, free agent. Doesn't say a team, no logo. He was there in a Mike Evans jersey as a guest of Mike Evans in a Tampa jersey. And he was seen speaking to Tom Brady. I guess he met Tom Brady. I don't know if it was the first time he met him, if he had met him in the past uh, before the game. Not a big deal. I mean, if I was a superstar athlete and I was there, I'd also want to go meet Tom Brady. Not really blaming him. Although I did tweet out at the time. I was like, well, Aaron Judge essentially is just uh, talking about Tom Brady, how they're going to be playing in San Francisco together next year, I guess. That's what I assumed they were talking about. Um, But again, that was also kind of a joke. Half kidding, something like that. Um, Then it was assumed he was going straight from the Monday night football game to the winter meetings in San Diego, taking a flight uh, to the winter meetings in San Diego. Apparently today he didn't go, but we'll get to that a little bit later. 30 years ago today, and today being uh, December 6th, so by the time you hear this, it's yesterday, but December 6th, 2022, 30 years ago, December 6th, 1992, uh, Barry Bonds leaves the Pittsburgh Pirates, turns down a giant offer from the New York Yankees to go play for the San Francisco Giants. The reason that is important, Aaron Judge grew up a San Francisco Giants fan, grew up in San Francisco, and his favorite player was Barry Bonds. Um, He's... Judge's childhood hero. Then, curious timing for this as well, a Time Magazine article comes out today. Aaron Judge is named the male athlete, or I think even just the athlete of the year. Aaron Judge is on the cover. The entire thing is about Aaron Judge. And two things that stood out in that article that were going viral today. Number one, he was upset with the Yankees that they leaked the contract. He understood that it was a negotiating tactic by the Yankees, but they leaked the contract details. Uh, prior to the season as a kind of a ploy to try and turn the fans on Aaron Judge to try and get him to sign. Um, they leaked their terms of the contract. Aaron Judge admitted he did not like that. And we already knew that he probably wouldn't like that, but he admitted it in an article that came out today. And then he also mentioned that he told his wife, his now wife at the time girlfriend, when they were in high school 10 years ago, that they would be married. And t- he said, in 10 years, we'll be married and I'll be playing for the San Francisco Giants. Um, I guess it wouldn't have been 10 years ago if he was in high school. He's 30 now. He's not 20 in high school, I don't think. Uh, But essentially, that was the story. And those were the two big pieces that everyone took out of the article. I did not read the whole article, so I can't tell you if there was anything else that was newsworthy in that. We don't know when these things were said, but that scared a lot of Yankee fans, rightfully so. What happened later that day scared a lot of Yankee fans as well. The Yankees uh, obviously, were rumored to be at about eight years, three hundred million for Aaron Judge, and the offer. The rumors come in that the Giants had offered Aaron somewhere in the ballpark of nine years and three hundred and sixty million, so a significant pay raise over the Yankees, sixty million dollars more, um, and that's definitely a significant jump. So now it's assumed the Yankees have an opportunity to match, but also a lot of people were saying the Yankees weren't necessarily going to get the opportunity to match. Uh, and then at about 5.30 p.m. Eastern, in uh, I was sitting on my couch, and I saw the tweet that everyone saw. John Heyman tweeted three tweets, and these three tweets uh, are viral now, famous, although two of them are deleted. Um, but everyone knows what happens next. He first tweets, Arson Judge, A-R-S-O-N Judge, is appears to be headed to the Giants. He then corrects himself and writes, Aaron Judge appears to be headed to the Giants. He then deletes that tweet. Aaron Judge appears to be headed to the Giants. Everyone assumes it's over, but no other baseball reporters uh, reported it yet. And then he deletes that tweet and then apologizes, saying, Giants say they have not heard on Aaron Judge. My apologies for jumping the gun. Now, jumping the gun sounds like he's still going there, if you ask me personally. But, oh my God, not a great look by John Heyman. First of all, he's clearly just wanted to be first. He heard some rumor and wanted to jump on it because you don't send out that tweet with a spelling mistake unless you were desperate to be the first one, right, to get on it. Then he deletes the tweet that said that Aaron Judge, like, if he believes that he was 100% right and he was just early, you keep the tweet up there. Everyone already saw the tweet. Everyone already screen grabbed it. Then he deletes the tweet and three minutes later writes, My bad. Giants didn't hear from him. Now, people are reporting the Yankees haven't heard back. The Yankees haven't been told anything. But the judge party doesn't owe anything to the Yankees to tell them anything. So that's not a guarantee 
that Aaron is not leaving the Yankees just because the Yankees hadn't heard yet. But John Heyman writing, sorry, jump the gun, that's pretty significant. That kind of tells you nothing happened yet. And that's a problem for John Heyman. It's a problem for baseball Twitter. And this sent everyone into a frenzy. So Arson Judge was trending, obviously, which is hilarious. Uh, If he does go back to the Yankees, um, obviously, it'll be a meme forever. It's really funny. If he does go to the Giants, John Heyman's going to try and spin this as, well, I was right all along. I was just early on it. Um, You can't do that anymore. You kind of lost that opportunity if you're John Heyman because at this point, it's no, you got it wrong. And you just got lucky that that's where he happened to have ended up. So two things that uh, are the Yankees' benefit here, I think. Number one, the longer this goes, and now it's we're six, seven hours removed from that tweet, uh, and it is assumed that Aaron Judge still will be showing up to the winter meetings. Uh, but the further we are removed from that, uh, the more it feels like that's in the Yankees' favor. I still feel like he's going to end up there if... Uh, someone like John Heyman, who's pretty reliable source, put that out there. I still feel like Aaron Judge is going to end up with the San Francisco Giants, which is where uh, I was kind of feeling more and more towards. I mentioned it on Friday's episode. That's kind of where my gut was heading in that direction anyway the last couple of weeks. Um, but I think the longer this goes on now, it's good for the Yankees because that means that that deal wasn't actually done. And second, it means the Yankees may have heard this and the Yankees were like, oh, shoot, wait, that deal is actually that close. Let's try and get one last run at him. Let's go offer him 10 years, $400 million if we have to. So uh, the Yankees may step in here and be a little bit more aggressive because, in my opinion, the Yankees cannot lose him. But I did have about three minutes of a genuine reaction to Aaron Judge being gone. So I'll tell you um, what my reaction was. Now, first, I did. it's weird. I was holding out hope when he said appears to be signing with the Giants because it didn't seem like a definitive uh, report. I didn't see passing on it, although he's blocked me on Twitter. So, But I didn't see any of the other reporters. It was just Heyman out on an island alone. And he said, appears. Didn't sound definitive. It does sound like it's heading in that direction. And like I said, it still does sound like it's heading in that direction. But in the moment, it didn't seem like, oh, wow, it's a done deal. Aaron Judge is going to the Giants. Um, I was upset at the Yankees. I was a little bit upset at Judge. But also, I wasn't devastated like I would have been if, say, Derek Jeter left. And I don't know why. I can't tell you why I didn't feel that attachment to him. Maybe it was because I felt like this was happening for a while. Maybe because I'm older and he wasn't like my childhood hero. But I do have athletes that I have a connection to that I feel like even as a 25-year-old. Um, maybe they never won. And just no one as a Yankee can replace Derek Jeter to me. He's not Derek Jeter. I don't have those moments with him. I don't know what it is, but I just felt like, all right, I felt more like Robinson Cano about him leaving potentially than I did about Derek Jeter. And this is the guy who's had the greatest offensive season in Yankee history. And to me, I I still stand by this. If the Yankees don't get him, they're not the Yankees anymore. Like this is the face of your franchise. This is the leader in home runs. This is the guy who comes in line after Ruth and Maris, and Jeter. And I don't know why I didn't feel that upset about it in the moment, but he has to be retained by the Yankees. If they get him, if they go above all else, and they throw 10 years, $400 million at him at this point, which is might be what it takes to get him, the Yankees are still the Yankees. You, you, you win. You're the crown. But this whole process feels like the Yankees just aren't the same. This just isn't the same franchise anymore. And we've been talking about this since... I don't know, go back three, four years we've been talking about that. And what tells you even more than anything, the Yankees aren't the Yankees. The Philadelphia Phillies announced that they get Trey Turner. The Mets announced that they got Justin Verlander. And then in that same news flurry at the same time, the Yankees announced that they've extended Brian Cashman for four years. That's tone deaf. That's the Yankees not being the same franchise that they once were. And my tone will change if they do ultimately sign Judge and Judge is ultimately back. But until he is, I don't feel this way, the same way about this team. They don't have my trust at all. This franchise is unrecognizable, and I've said that many times. They did sign Tommy Canely, so I am actually really happy about that. I love Tommy Canely. He was always one of my favorite Yankees uh, when he was here, and I'm glad that the Yankees have him back. It will bolster the bullpen. Uh, If you remember in the playoffs, they really only had three or four guys in the bullpen that they relied on. 
Um, so it's good to have another guy, a guy that you can rely on. Hopefully Michael King will be back too. This bullpen should be better. I did mention the other two contracts, Trey Turner, Justin Verlander, and I obviously teased on uh, Sunday's episode that I was going to talk about Jacob DeGrom. So the Philadelphia Phillies, they signed Trey Turner. He turned down 11 years and $341 million from the San Diego Padres, and that franchise is just a mess. To sign 11 years and 300 to play in Philly, obviously he has a relationship with Bryce Harper. He apparently wanted to be on the East Coast, but uh, I mean, that's just an all-time franchise in shambles. He turned down $41 million. Maybe that's a guy who just gets it. He's like 300 million, 341 million. The difference, 41 million when you're talking about that much, doesn't make a difference. It's not going to make a difference in his lifetime, maybe in his great-great-grandchildren's lifetime. Uh, It's that crazy amount of money. And so maybe he understands that and he knows him and Bryce are going to be here for the next decade together in Philly. Full no trade clause. Yeah, I guess that was worth it to him. The guy he's friends with, he's going to play ball. And just another guy I love. I know I'm the biggest Philly stan, I guess, out there who's not actually a Philly fan. Um, And this continues that trend because I love Trey Turner and I'm going to be rooting for that team still. As far as the Mets. They get Justin Verlander as a reaction to DeGrom leaving. And it is the correct reaction. Credit to the Mets there. You lose a guy like Jacob DeGrom, you have to react. You can't just let that happen. You react. You go get Justin Verlander, who is the best free agent pitcher on the market, presumably coming off a Cy Young Award winning season. Incredible, right? I don't trust that the Yankees, if they lose, Aaron Judge would have that same reaction. And yes, I'm still sitting here refreshing Twitter as we speak. Nothing new yet, it doesn't look like. Jameson Tyone, just a bunch of stuff about him. Uh, I think the details came in, maybe three years, $68 million. Um, But I don't trust that the Yankees are then going to go out and spend a ton of money because they lost Judge. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But here's the thing about all this. DeGrom is 34 years old. He gets signed to a five-year, $185 million offer uh, with the Texas Rangers. Apparently, his offer with the Mets was about two years in the $80 million range, so not even close. That was kind of in the range of what they gave Verlander ultimately, but ultimately they signed Verlander, who's older and has played less games in the last three years. Now, I know that's one big injury that wiped out two seasons, not multiple injuries over the course of three years like DeGrom. But he's older. They gave him a two-year, $86 million offer. And also, he's not your guy. He's not DeGrom, who's been a lifetime Met. To me, this doesn't make sense. To me, you don't give, even if you're just looking at these two players side by side, you give a 40-year-old Justin Verlander two years, 86, but you wouldn't have gone three or four years with DeGrom and going up to $185 million? The Mets weren't close on DeGrom. And... More importantly than anything else, the main reason you get Steve Cohen, the main reason you bring a guy like that in, the guy that this is who you want to be your owner, is not to bring in Justin Verlander. It's not to bring in Starling Marte or Francisco Lindor or Max Scherzer. Yeah, those guys are great. That's a great addition. The reason you have an owner like Steve Cohen and it's not the Wilpons is to keep your own. That is the most important thing is keeping the guys that are yours, keeping the guy who grew up here, who came up here, who won the Rookie of the Year, everything that comes with Jacob deGrom and what he meant to this franchise. And you lose him? I don't care that you replaced him with Verlander. Yeah, it's the right move to make up for it, but it doesn't make up for it in my opinion. You can't lose a guy. The reason you have an owner like that, the reason you spend all this money is not to bring in those outside guys. It's to keep a guy like Jacob deGrom. And the Mets, in my opinion, failed. Now, I don't know why I'm upset. I'm not a Mets fan. I shouldn't care, right? Um, I heard this recently said on a podcast how like someone was saying they felt about a certain team like he's the grandfather, like he cares, but he's removed. You know, like how a grandparent feels about a kid as opposed to a parent's like, oh, the kid's crying. It's bedtime. I don't want to deal with this. I'm out. But like, I'll come hang out for the cool, cute, fun moments. I guess that's kind of how I feel about the Mets. I don't hate them. There's not like a big rivalry. But Jacob deGrom, everyone knows. I love Jacob deGrom. He's, he was special and there's something about him. And I don't know why this ruins it for me. I don't know why I was really genuinely upset when I learned the news. Um, I'll still get to see him pitch, right? I could turn on a Texas Rangers game just as easily, right? Uh, I guess I won't get to see him in person as often. He won't be on the East Coast. But MLB TV works just as well for the West Coast teams as it does for the East Coast teams. But for some reason, this ruins it for me. And I blame both sides. Like, the Mets, 
apparently didn't get an opportunity to respond to DeGrom's offer, but they weren't close. Why should they respond? If I'm offering you two years, 80 million, and you get a five-year, $185 million offer, it's not like a counter. Like I understand the Yankees who offered 300 million over eight years to judge having an opportunity to counter a 369-year million dollar, right? Or $360 million over nine-year offer. But for DeGrom, you didn't get that opportunity because you weren't close. I am upset that DeGrom also didn't go back to them to give them the opportunity. Because if I was DeGrom, I still would have said, hey, this is everything. This is my legacy. Like, it kind of ruins it for him. They met for life. I don't understand. Maybe he doesn't love... like. You know, he plays simple man coming in, a simple man who needed $185 million tax-free in Texas. Like, Texas is obscurity. I don't know. It's not like he went to the Red Sox or the Cubs or the Cardinals or one of the Atlanta. I don't know. One of those teams, maybe even the Phillies. He went to the Texas Rangers. To me, it's just nothing. Like, it just loses some of the luster. And if he goes out and he pitches to a one ERA and he's the incredible Max Scherzer, or sorry, and he's the incredible Jacob deGrom that we've seen, I guess I'll still root for him. But just something about him leaving loses a little bit of it for me uh, as a huge DeGrom fan. I'm still going to be rooting for him. I still want to see him pitch and do well. want to see him stay healthy. But I'm kind of sad even though I know I'm, I'm, I'm not a Met fan and I'm just it, I'm disappointed. Quick check on the Aaron Judge news. And I see nothing. Um, it is starting to get late already in... San Diego as well, though he's supposed to be arriving there, so I'm not sure what's going on. They work late. I don't think it would be the type of story that's a news dump story, uh, but you never know. Uh, like I said, I think the longer this goes on, this be- the better it bodes for the Yankees. I'm still not confident. I still think it will ultimately uh, be the Giants, and I still think John Heyman will try and do a victory lap after this, which is insane. But as far as the Yankees, while they still have a chance, they should be banging down the doors on Judge's party, offering him everything. You cannot be outbid. This is not the same as Robinson Cano. This is your Derek Jeter. He had the career year. He had the greatest year in franchise history. He still hasn't signed the eight-year $300 million contract you offered him, and now he has nine years 360 on the table. If he decides to leave and you offered him more money, Fine. But the Yankee offer needs to be the highest offer on the table. And I talked about the backup plan, and Brian Cashman said this. There is no backup plan. It's essentially what he said. There shouldn't be a backup plan because you cannot let this guy leave. You have to know, if you are the same franchise, the only way he leaves is if he's taking less money to leave, and that's it. He cannot leave for the same amount of money. He has to be taking less to leave. That's the only way you can live with it as the Yankee franchise. That doesn't guarantee you any wins. We talked about this on last episode with Victor Wembanyama. No, it doesn't guarantee you anything. But I don't know. It's just you have to make this happen if you're the Yankees. No choice. By the way, um, still, like I said, it doesn't guarantee you winning. The Yankees winning doesn't depend on this free agency at all. Like, I wasn't upset when they didn't get Justin Verlander. Like throwing all this. You have the big contract guys already. Right, you're paying Garrett Cole. I like the Tommy Canley signing. Hopefully, you bring back a guy like DJ LeMay who comes back healthy. This season and them winning moving forward, and even the length of the Judge contract is not going to depend on bringing back Aaron Judge or keeping Garrett Cole or any of the things that happen in this offseason, even if it's Carlos Rodon or Anthony Rizzo, who they're already signed. This entire Yankee operation relies on the young pieces because. They didn't trade these young pieces. They didn't trade Peraza and Volpe and those guys because they're expected to be the future of the franchise. And the franchise still relies on them being good. So judge or not, you got to work on that. One of the young pieces or younger pieces on the Yankees, I think is as good as gone, is Glaber Torres. Here's why I say that. Glaber Torres is playing winter ball, I think in Venezuela. Um, I'm not sure. And the story came out that originally he was told by the Yankees that he is not allowed to play winter ball and then he asked for a personal meeting a personal meeting with Brian Cashman he was granted uh, permission by Brian Cashman to play winter ball now if you are just hoping for the best of the player and you just want to keep this player and have him be the best player a guy like Leigh Torres who has come into camp uh, according to reports multiple times out of shape a guy who has not been ready a guy whose fundamentals are bad a guy who can clean some stuff up in his swing in his game um 
if you're the Yankees, you'd be thrilled that he wants to work on his game during the offseason as opposed to sitting on a couch and eating and drinking, right? This is a guy who you've had a hard time with his development. He's gotten worse. He's deteriorated over the last few years. You hope that this doesn't affect his swing and he doesn't start swinging for the fences because we know he's at his best when he's swinging for line drives and hitting line drives. But you should be happy with him playing winter ball. The only way you'd be upset with him playing winter ball is if you're trying to trade him and you're just scared he's going to get hurt. To me, that's the only thing that makes sense. Uh, so I think Labor Torres is as good as gone if they can get a good deal for him. I don't know what that means. Does that mean they're working on a deal with Pablo Lopez and something huge like that? Maybe even I, I thought maybe a Rafael Devers, which would be a crazy blockbuster trade if he was part of that. Or is it something small? I, I don't know what kind of trade they're looking at for him. Uh, but I have a feeling he's in trade talks. Otherwise, it just obviously you'd let him play. You want this guy to keep working on his game and keep improving. Uh, so that's just a little other Yankee news. Also, by the way, the Giants, after they didn't or didn't yet get Judge, um, they did sign Mitch Haniger, who's another outfielder, who immediately posted on Instagram, hey, come join me, Judge. I don't know if that's good for the Yankees or not. Probably means nothing. Like I said, my gut still tells me Giants. Um, we'll see where it all goes. But um, overall, shout out baseball. Good job, baseball. You made yourselves relevant in the middle of a football week uh, on a night where there wasn't much happening, at least in the New York sports world, there was nothing happening. So they owned the scene in the New York sports world. Uh, Arson Judge, not Aaron Judge, but Arson Judge was like the number one trending thing on Twitter today. Uh, that, so that was kind of funny. Aside from that, there, there's you know not much happened. Like I said, a couple of NBA games. LeBron did go back to Cleveland. Um, and in that game, by the way, because Anthony Davis, good for Anthony Davis, he reminded everyone that he is incredible. He is amazing when he's healthy. But just as he reminds you that, he reminds you that he might be the most unlucky player in the history of sports when it comes to health. He leaves in the middle of a game with flu-like symptoms, which is just the weirdest uh, report I've ever seen. You either have flu-like symptoms and you don't play the game or you stick it out. I don't know. Left in the middle of the game with flu-like symptoms. That was just a weird one. Um, but LeBron does lose in his return. The first time he's lost in Cleveland since 2011. And, uh, well, I guess it makes sense because this team is really good with Donovan Mitchell and what they've done out there in Cleveland. All right, let's go to football talk because it still is uh football season. And that's all we talk about during football season. So we do have a lot coming up on the football side of things. We have a bunch of headlines. We still have to recap Monday night football. I have the power rankings for this week in the NFL. I'm going to talk about that. And we have Thursday Night Football preview again. So that's going to be fun. And let's get right into it. All right. The first news uh, also happened today. It was happening during all this baseball news. So I guess it's newsworthy as well, though. Uh, Baker Mayfield was cut by Carolina. Um, they don't want him around. It's just another franchise that is like, hey, we can't have... If you're not going to be the starter, if you're not the guy, you can't be here. And I don't blame them. He seems like the type of guy who has that personality that he cannot be around unless he is the man. Um, and so that's going to be tough for him because if he doesn't have a starting job in the NFL, and I don't know how many starting jobs there are out there for him, this might be his last chance to get another starting job as he is immediately picked up by LA, the Rams. It was rumored that he wanted out because he wanted to get a starting job other, uh, other elsewhere and he felt like he could, which makes sense because there are a couple of places that could use either a quarterback or a backup quarterback, San Francisco being one of them, but the Rams are higher up on the waiver wire list, uh, which is literally how it works in the NFL because they have a worse record. They are higher on waiver priority, kind of how it worked in your 14 year old uh, fantasy football league. And so they are higher on waiver priority. And that's why uh, they were able to pick up Baker before anyone else. Like I said, this is going to be crucial for Baker's career. There's no one standing over his shoulder. He has talent there and he has one of the greatest offensive minds in the league and Sean McVay who can help him out. I don't know how checked out Sean McVay is. It could be he's halfway checked out. It could be the franchise is already thinking about the rebuild, and this is going to be the starter during their rebuild. Uh, I imagine they try and convince McVay to stick it out one more year, but he doesn't have Aaron Donald on this team. Who knows when he's going to get Cooper cut back. It still might not be a great situation for Baker, but it, it's the only situation you're getting at this point. They're not trying to make the playoffs at, what, 3-9, and nine, something like that. So it's going to be weird, um, but Baker... He lands on his feet, again, gets another starting job, another opportunity. I'm happy for Sam Darnold because now he doesn't have Baker standing over his shoulder. He's a young guy. He's 25 years old. And I really hope that Sam Darnold continues to play well for Carolina and can get his career back on track. 
uh, I'd be very happy about that. I, I'm still a big Sam Darnold fan. I take him back uh, with the Jets. By the way, it reminds me, and I, I remember someone was talking about this. Um, essentially, if you draft, I think it was Trent Dilfer talking about it, who said that if you're drafting a young quarterback, don't bother taking the pick if you're not going to sign a huge wide receiver with him. If you're not going to put the pieces around him, the offensive line, the obviously the running game, if you're not going to put a good offense around him, don't bother signing him. The Jets obviously did a terrible job with Sam Darnold in that uh, category. Now, the reason is you could spend money on the offensive line. You could spend money on wide receivers. You could spend money on running backs because you have the quarterback on a rookie deal. And how can you actually evaluate the talent of the quarterback if you don't have anything around him? And Sam Darnold was maybe in one of the worst possible situations in NFL uh, coming into this league, obviously with Adam Gase, with Todd Bowles, with no weapons around him, with no offensive line. It didn't help that he got mono, got sick, got hurt. But uh, I hope that he catches on and catches on a little bit later. Um, and like I said, I think if the Jets had him now with the roster that they have now, him being a little bit older, him being a little bit more mature, I, I think he'd be pretty good, actually, as the Jets' starting quarterback. Obviously, easy to say now after they go out. Can you imagine if they would have just traded down instead of drafting Zach Wilson? They just trade down and get all these pieces around uh Sam Darnold although I think he needed to change the scenery anyway but that doesn't mean that as a free agent coming up this season I won't take him like if he wanted to be somewhere and he wanted to come back I take a look at him let's see how he looks these next few weeks but uh speaking of those quarterbacks and surrounding them with talent if you think about it think about the guys in the league right now we talk about all the time with Jalen Hurts and what a step he's taken and him being an MVP caliber candidate AJ Brown and we'll get to AJ Brown in this a little bit later uh, in this segment, but AJ Brown, he goes and signs or it gets traded. They sign him to the huge extension after they trade for him from Tennessee. All of a sudden, boom, Jalen Hurts has a huge pop off, crazy season. Stephon Diggs, all those years ago in Buffalo, all of a sudden, the same draft class as Sam Darnold, right? Josh Allen doesn't look great right away. They get Stephon Diggs, different guy. Tyreek Hill, what he's done for Tua Tungavailoa. Tua Tungavailoa is having the best year of his career. Even Arizona, who's a dysfunctional franchise, gets DeAndre Hopkins to come in to be the wide receiver for Kyler Murray. Now, Jamar Chase is different. They kind of drafted him, right? So that's different, but you drafted, instead of getting an offensive lineman, they drafted, they were hated on for that, but they draft Jamar Chase, put him back together with Joe Burrow. They're together at LSU, obviously. Everyone knows that. The Jets, I think, did a great job. Also built it through the draft, mostly. If you think about their offensive lineman, you think about Brees Hall, you think about Garrett Wilson. They did bring in Corey Davis, but you think about Garrett Wilson, you think about Elijah Moore. They did a great job building around now their young quarterback, Mike White. Chicago still has to do that for Justin Fields, in my opinion. Obviously, Chicago uh, is trying to do that with uh, trading for Claypool, see what they could get out of him. But I think this is going to be the offseason that they have to go get a real wide receiver because we talk about how talented Justin Fields is. You have to see what he can do as a passer. And if you can actually put together drives at the end of games where he could throw it into tight windows when they know he's throwing the ball and trust his wide receivers because that's the biggest thing. That throw to A.J. Brown, the touchdown throw, Jalen Hurts is like, I'm throwing it to him because I trust him to make a play for me. It's not a smart decision. It's not a great throw, but I trust that guy. Um, so who's going to be that guy for Fields? Think about it with Baltimore. Lamar Jackson's never had that guy. And finally this year, maybe that's why their offense is struggling so much. We know he can run the ball. We know how talented he is. But you don't have that guy who, when in a two-minute offense, you can just trust that he's going to make a play for you and just throw the ball in his direction. New England's tried it a thousand times. They've just failed. They spent the money. I think I saw somewhere that they spend on the wide receiver and tight end positions as much as anyone in the league. They just haven't gotten the right guys. They've Spent draft picks, Nikhil Harry, guys like that. It just hasn't worked out for them. They haven't gotten the right guys, uh, but they've tried to, not for lack of trying. And because we mentioned A.J. Brown a couple of times, how about that? The ultimate revenge game. Not only does he get revenge, but the guy who traded him right after the game gets fired. The Titans GM, they announced they fired John Robinson. It is a head scratcher to me because I still think that the Titans are one of the better teams in the league. Um, and Mike Rabel, by the way, not even on FanDuel's list of, if you go through the list of, coaches of the year who you could bet on Rabel's not even on the list which is pathetic I know there's a lot of options this year Rabel just won it last year they generally don't give it to the same guy two years in a row they're not going to be in the same standing uh, as they were last year we know that they've lost a couple of big games as well this season but the job that Mike Rabel has done and continues to do with his Tennessee team uh, I still think this Tennessee team is really good I think Rabel's going to have um, more say on personnel decisions now but I don't understand 
the logic of right now the timing of it is weird i guess you could try and get a gm to run your off season but after aj brown totally uh, abused them in that game john robinson gets fired and i'm sure aj brown is laughing his ass off somewhere when he saw that news all right other news today uh we talked about on monday's episode that jimmy g might be out for the season he might not be out for the season could be five to seven weeks which Week 14, we have 18 weeks of the season right now, so that could get you back for a first, second round of the playoffs. Maybe somehow you sneak in. Maybe they could win one game of the playoffs. Maybe you win two when he comes back for an AFC championship game. They're going to have to ride it out. I, I think it's going to be Josh Johnson who's going to get more ride here than Purdy, but they have confidence in Purdy. Everyone's going back. I think it's 99. There was a a rookie quarterback who came in uh, and took over and took a team to the playoffs of the Super Bowl. I did not fact check that, uh, but I did hear a story, something like that. So Jimmy G might not be totally out of it. Uh, I think if he comes back somewhere this year, uh, they should be higher up than the power rankings that I wrote them. I did write my power rankings earlier today uh, before uh, they announced the Jimmy G news. I'll get to the power rankings in a minute. Don't you fret. Bam Knight, another story in the NFL. Uh, the Jets. I haven't talked about the Jets at all in this episode. So Bam Knight. That's not true. I talked about Sam Darnold. I talked about them building around their wide receivers with Mike White. Anyway, but Bam Knight, one of those skill position players. Um, I love him. He tweeted about being undrafted, and you know his Twitter header. He's an undrafted rookie running back for the Jets. He's been extremely effective the last couple of weeks. He broke some sort of record where uh, no other running back has gotten or no other rookie has gotten. I don't remember what the exact number is, but... You have to love this per- guy's personality. It's hard not to love this guy's personality. His Twitter header, which is the uh, long picture, not like his profile picture, but I guess that long picture that when you click on his profile is at the top uh, of the page. Bam Knight is a picture of the podium, the NFL uh, draft podium. Kind of like you think that guy has a chip on his shoulder, right? That it, it's the draft podium is the picture on his Twitter profile, almost to say like, yeah, I wasn't drafted, but I'm here now. And he's undrafted. Uh, He tweeted God's plan. It's the only, here's a stat here. The only undrafted players in common draft era with a hundred plus scrimmage yards in each of their first two career games are Philip Lindsay and Bam Knight. Uh, Really incredible. Zonovan Bam Knight, the story that he is with the Jets right now. And like I said, he tweeted God's plan and his Twitter header is a picture of the NFL draft podium. I love that. I think that's so cool. Clearly, that shows he's got a chip on his shoulder and uh, he has something to play for. That is just so cool. I love this kid. Speaking of not talking about the Jets, um, I spent so much time on the Jets on last episode that I didn't really get to talk so much about the 10 and 2. 10 and 2 now, Minnesota Vikings. Um, by the way, so in this game, I want to talk about the Vikings a little bit. Here we go. Kirk Cousins was having a pretty classic bad Kirk Cousins game. He started one for eight. And what usually happens when Kirk Cousins starts one for eight is his team is down. And then he starts having to pull them back into the game and taking shots downfield. And then he starts doing Kirk Cousins things. And that's when they lose. And that's when they get blown out. Fortunately for him, he was lucky that his team was not down. The Jets missed some opportunities early. They didn't get their hands on a couple balls. They could have intercepted. Obviously, Mike White throws his interception. They have a couple of offensive penalties. We talked about this on last episode. He's able to recover, and all of a sudden, he's playing with the lead, and he plays like Kirk Cousins. They still punted it on five consecutive drives in the second half, but one huge drive in the second half. He did throw the touchdown on, um, and so that's all he needed to do. Kirk was not asked to do a lot in that game. But he was pretty bad if you look at the game, if you actually watch the game. The better quarterback of the two, and I don't think it was close, was Mike White. I saw somebody tweet if the Jets had Kirk Cousins in that game and the Vikings had Mike White, the Jets would have lost 40-3 to in that game. And I can't argue there. Um, But that said, got to give him credit, right? The Vikings now 10-2, 4-0 against the AFC Beast. That means they beat the Bills. They beat the Jets, they beat the Dolphins, and they beat the Patriots. Um, whatever way you slice it, impressive. Hard to do. They're 7-0 and now. They improved to 7-0 and in one-score games. And this is the stat that everyone's freaking out about because they're 10-2 and and they're not getting respected. So part of that is the 7-0 and in one-score games. People say, well, 
you're just not going to win that many one score games. It doesn't work out that way. Think about the regression that the Raiders have had. We talked about that on this episode. But in the last 20 years, there have been 53 teams ever that were 10 and 2 or better after 13 weeks of the NFL season. The Vikings and their 10, plus 10 point differential is dead last amongst those 53 teams. They're number 53. Let me repeat that. In the last 20 years, there have been 53 teams that were 10 and 2 or better through week 13. Of those 53 teams, the Vikings have the worst point differential at only plus 10. The next worst is 36. So we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It makes sense, right? Their two losses, their only two losses were blowouts. And they have seven one-score victories. So if you think about that, they've only won three games by multiple scores. Their two losses were by a million. So it kind of makes sense. So what's real and what's not? What do we look at? Do we look at the two blowouts and say, those are the aberration here? Do we look at the three wins that were more than one score and say, okay, that makes sense. That's who this team really is. And the seven wins in one score games, well, they're just good at winning games. It sucks that they were close. They just happened to be close. Can you say this is actually a positive thing that this team is actually learning how to win in these close games? Or is this team just really not that good and they've gotten very lucky? Because that's the way everyone wants to look at it. That they're just lucky. That they're not a very good football team. They're just lucky. I don't know. I honestly don't know. But we're going to find out. And maybe we won't find out. Maybe they'll keep winning these one-score games. And maybe it'll prepare them ultimately in the playoffs when you have to win close games and you have to learn how to win close games. Think about the Bengals. They had to learn how to win close games last year. And how did that help them in the playoffs? They won every game in the playoffs on a last-second field goal right? All one-score games. Didn't really help them in the Super Bowl, but Aaron Donald made a play. The greatest player in football last season, in my opinion, was the best player in football. So maybe actually playing in these close games prepares you better for the playoffs than winning a bunch of blowouts. And the plus 10 point differential, like I said, does that account for a 37-point loss? Does that account for the huge loss? I don't remember what the point total was against Philly? I don't know. It's hard to know what's real and what's not when it comes to this Viking team. They say you are what your record is. 10-2 and might just be who they are right now, but nobody in the league and nobody in the media believes that. And I'm pretty sure that Kirk Cousins' performance on Sunday might have something to do with that. All right, let's recap Monday Night Football. Crazy, I didn't do that yet. Mark Ingram goes out of bounds, and we'll start there because the game was pretty boring until then, but Mark Ingram goes out of bounds instead of picking up the first down. And by the way, for all the people complaining about Mark Ingram, who then apologized to the New Orleans Saints fans on Twitter, and Mark Ingram is still in the league, which was shocking to me in the first place, but that only happens against Brady. If this was against any other team, Mark Ingram would have stayed in bounds, gotten the first down, and then gone out of bounds, or stayed in bounds, slid down effectively maybe even ending the game but he doesn't they call a terrible play on third and one they decide to punt it back to Brady all these different things that you could look at for the Saints and all the luck quote-unquote that you talk about with Brady at what point is it not luck anymore when he's done this a thousand freaking times look this is what we've talked about is the same thing I talked about with Joe Burrow sometimes you say it's luck sometimes it's not necessarily him But he finds a way to win at the end of these games. He continuously does this. And like I said with Burrow, he's a winner. Brady is the greatest winner ever. Brady now, I think it's his 40-something OT or fourth quarter comeback. Um, And I think they also said it's maybe the 59th time. And I'm sorry, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. But the 59th time he's led a game-winning drive, a game-winning touchdown drive in the fourth quarter in overtime. And I know it requires playing forever. But you just expect it to happen now with him every time. He didn't look great. He looked pretty bad for 57 minutes. But when he comes down to it, even after that holding call calls back the first touchdown, it's like, yeah, Brady was still going to get it done. And you had all the confidence in him. Didn't even need the last time out, uh, but goes down there and wins the game. And you just can't be surprised anymore. You just have to sit back and watch greatness because this is a guy who you're not going to get to see forever. We do believe he's coming back next season, but this is a guy who's not going to be here forever. So appreciate it. Appreciate Brady's greatness. 
it's incredible to watch. Appreciate watching greatness. I love watching greatness. I've come to terms with it. I remember with Giannis Antetokounmpo, that happens. That development in my life happens on this podcast where I was a Giannis hater. And then I was like, wait, what am I doing? Appreciate the greatness that is Giannis Antetokounmpo. With Tom Brady, it is no different. Uh, he is one of the greatest ever. And he did it again. And it's just another opportunity uh, to watch him be great. And I, I love that. Now, Taysom Hill, I know everyone was holding their breath, waiting anxiously to know what happened in my fantasy league, because I mentioned it on last episode. Worked out. Taysom Hill, I think, had 50 points. He caught a touchdown pass, which is wild. Of all the people, they didn't throw a toe lave. The only... Uh, Mike Evans didn't have a touchdown catch in this game. I had Leonard Fournette. I had a bet on him as an anytime scorer. That didn't happen. No Godwin, no Evans, no Olave. But Taysom Hill caught a touchdown, so what do you know? Um, also, Joe Buck, they changed the graphic. I mentioned on last episode or maybe a couple episodes, the teams that are, quote, in the hunt. Um, they did change the graphic on ESPN. It's now sniffing around, which sounds way worse than in the hunt. So congrats, Joe Buck. Uh, you have ESPN. You basically own ESPN with the amount that they're paying you. You do. All right, we're going to do our power rankings now. Um, I'll tweet this out before. I'll tweet out my power rankings. I forgot to tweet them out today, but I'll tweet them out before I edit the episode and post it because I want to piss everyone off and then have everyone run to listen to this segment. So if you were waiting for the power rankings, here they are. Number one, we have a new number one in the league. We have a new king of the crop. We have the Philadelphia Eagles complete team, both sides of the ball. Their quarterback can get it. They have the wide receivers. They have... A decent running game, mostly with their quarterback, Jalen Hurts, who's an incredible runner. And I think it's time. It's official. They were able to slow down Derrick Henry and stop him in the run game and slow down that Titans team. They are my number one team in football. They overtake Kansas City, who lost this week. So that definitely has something to do it. And by the way, I told you we do it in tiers also, uh, but I did flip flop those two. So I wanted to mention that. So this is the Super Bowl uh, contender tier, and it is four teams. It is Philly, Kansas City. Buffalo still in there, and I've moved Cincinnati, number four, into my Super Bowl contenders team. If you listen to this podcast, you know why, how I feel about Joe Burrow, how I feel about this team coming together, the way their defense looked also against Tennessee last week, <laughs> Tennessee being stuffed by two teams, two games in a row. Uh, maybe that's why their general manager got fired, but I really do think that Cincinnati and Philly, there's no shame in losing to those teams. Those are two really good teams. I have five teams, five through nine, are in the contenders category. I have Minnesota at five. Like I said, 10-2 and two at some point. You learn how to win these games. You are what your record says you are. Number six and moving down significantly out of the uh, Super Bowl contender category was the 49ers. I have to see what they can be with this guy, Purdy. I don't know if they're going to end up going with Josh Johnson, which I think they will at some point. I don't know how it's going to look now. If Jimmy G comes back either in the regular season or in time for a couple of starts in the postseason and assuming he's actually healthy and ready to play, yeah, they'll be back in my Super Bowl category, but... Until then, they are a contender, and they're number six overall. Number seven is Dallas. Dallas could be in the Super Bowl contender conversation. I do think they were still piling on against a bad team. I don't think this is indicative. I'd like to see them actually beat down a good team the way they beat down such a bad team. Uh, but let's see that happen. We haven't seen that happen yet. Um, the reason they are such a good team, they're number seven right now. Micah Parsons, like I said, a huge difference maker. I like what they've done with Pollard. They're probably not going to bring in Odell Beckham Jr. because they fear he won't be ready till mid-January, which is a big story. They didn't like what they saw in the physical. Um, but I do think that CeeDee Lamb has really turned into a number one, a true number one receiver on this team uh, with Amari Cooper gone now. He's developed over the course of the season into a true number one. And I like how they look right now. And of course, like I said, it starts and ends with Micah Parsons. Number eight, I have Miami. I don't love what I saw. It was one game. I do love Mike McDaniel. If Tua is healthy, there's always that fear if Tua is healthy. But if he is healthy, they can be a Super Bowl contender, and they are in my contender category as well. Number nine, we have the Tennessee Titans. They're still in this category. Like I said, I still trust this team. I still trust this head coach, and I still trust as long as they're playing within a one-score game. They don't even have to have the lead, but as long as they're within a one-score game, uh, I trust that Derrick Henry is going to run away with anything and can carry the team on his backs. And I don't hate Ryan Tannehill. I don't hate him. Number 10, and this is the pretenders category. I have seven teams who are now moved into the pretenders, not so contending category. Number 10 is Baltimore. Baltimore, like I said, if Lamar Jackson, it's expected one to three weeks for him to miss. One to three weeks. If he comes back this season at any point, 
He's still incredible. He's still amazing. This defense has looked really good, really, really good, I should say, the last few weeks. Uh, if this offense, I still, for some reason, am holding out hope that this offense can get it together. If they can, uh, and Lamar Jackson coming back would go a long way, they can still contend and win a couple of playoff games. Number 11 is Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay still has talent on the defensive side. The offensive line is a mess. I don't know. It, it felt like there were 50 drop passes in that game by Brady's wide receivers or just balls off of his receiver's hands. He said that he was off a little bit in the first half earlier in the game. He took the blame for that. I thought his receivers did not help him out at all. Uh, but Tampa Bay, we see what they can do at the end of the game. As long as Tom Brady's in this game, he wasn't even in this game. He was down, what, 14 points or 13 points, came back and won this game. Tom Brady is incredible, and that's why I have Tom Brady uh, at 11 on my list. Number 12 is Seattle. Every time I want to count them out, I said this on last episode, every time I want to write them off, Gino still not writing back. Number 13 is the New York Jets. The New York Jets, they, like I said, have a tough path to the playoffs, but they have an incredible defense, and I do think that if they get in, Mike White is a stable enough quarterback that they can actually win and make some noise in the playoffs. Number 14, the other New York team, a wonderful tie on Sunday against the Washington Commanders. Uh, they are number 14, strictly because of coaching and Saquon Barkley. Number 15 is the Washington Commanders. Actually, they have a bye week this week, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, I do like them a lot. I do like the uh, Commanders a lot, but still they're relying on Taylor Heineke at some point. Taylor Heineke does, we all know, turn back into a pumpkin. Number 16 is the LA Chargers. No matter what they do, no matter what you think of them, they always find a way to lose these games. And that's why I have them essentially behind Seattle, Tampa, the Jets, the Giants, Washington. I like their quarterback better than any of those, of those teams. And we know how talented he is. And the touchdown that he threw on fourth down to Keenan Allen, incredible. But you lost to Vegas. They're number 16. Number 17. This is a new category. The mediocre category. These teams are just middle of the pack. Number 17. It starts with the New England Patriots. I still think the New England Patriots can win a couple games. I still think they could actually make the playoffs because they have an easy schedule the rest of the way. I still trust Bill Belichick, but they have no skill position players other than Ramondre Stevenson. And their quarterback is not very good. And they have a defensive coordinator calling their offense. Number 18 is Detroit. Detroit has moved up. Unfortunately, it's too little too late, but they're going to have postseason buzz. I think Dan Campbell probably saved his job, uh, and it's nice to see the Detroit Lions actually doing well. And I, I, I'm happy for Jared Goff, who everyone was like, oh, they traded him, and now they can win a Super Bowl, blah, blah, blah. That's the worst contract ever. I'm happy for Jared Goff. I think he's a good dude, and I think he's a decent NFL quarterback. Number 19 is Cleveland. Uh, we'll see how they do. Obviously, they had a kick. I think they had the trio of a kick return touchdown, a defensive touchdown, and maybe a long rushing touchdown, but any touchdown that's not a passing touchdown so Deshaun Watson didn't have to do anything but if he can get in rhythm by the end of the season also I think it's too little too late for them uh, but they're number 19 and they're not booty cheeks they're not total trash they are mediocre number 20 is Pittsburgh they keep finding to ways to win games and obviously Mike Tomlin has that streak of being over 500 if he can find a way to continue that streak this year this might be the most impressive job he's done maybe he should win coach of the year even if they go 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one. Uh, this season, he should win coach of the year with how impressive that would be. Number 21 is Green Bay. Green Bay, they looked better, but again, it was just against Chicago. They have a thing for beating the Bears. Number 22 is Jacksonville. I'm still a strong believer, uh, and I know Jacksonville, every time we get hyped about them, they disappoint us, and then we sleep on them, and then they come right back. They're like, no, 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 we're still here. Remember? Remember we're here. We're here. Uh, I do like their quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, a lot, but I don't think the team is very good. I like Doug Peterson, too. I think they'll be a good team in the future. Uh, I think they're resting Etienne for the most part for the rest of the season. They're not going to give him a crazy heavy workload uh, because they are they know they're playing for nothing this season. Number 23 is Las Vegas. Like I said, at any point, they're also a team that can surprise you and beat anyone because they have the talent to win games. They obviously, Devontae Adams, the best receiver in the league, arguably, uh, but they're just not a very good football team. They're 23. Number 24 and the last team in the mediocre category is the Atlanta Falcons. Disappointing week uh, this week. But they're still a decent football team. Uh, at times, they've been very feisty and a fun team to watch. Losing to Pittsburgh doesn't help you, but they're uh, number 24. And then the last teams, these are all the trash teams. Number 25, and I'll just run through them, is Carolina. Carolina, like I said, I hope they do better. Uh, they've moved up in my rankings. I hope they do better with Sam Darnold, but they're 25. They're trash. Number 26, Chicago, the greatest losers ever, like I said. Um, I love Justin Fields, but the one thing he does better than running the football is losing football games. Number 27, Denver and that whole mess. Like I said, I feel terrible for Nathaniel Hackett, but I blame Russell Wilson. 
Number 29 is Arizona, or number 28, sorry, is Arizona. Arizona, bad coach, bad quarterback, very talented, but haven't seen the results. Number 29 is Indianapolis. We saw what they are in the second half. And Matt Ryan, uh, it's a shame. He's too old for this, and he should be retired like Andrew Luck and that whole story that came out on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, number 30 is New Orleans. The New Orleans Saints are number 30. They're really bad. A lot of people are saying that that was the most egregious loss in the NFL this season, and I don't blame them. They lost that game more than Tom Brady won it, but don't take that away from Tom Brady. Tom Brady's still extremely impressive. Number 31, the LA Rams and their new quarterback, Baker Mayfield. And number 32 is the Houston Texans, the worst team in the NFL. All right, that does it. If you have any questions, I don't know, at me. I'll respond. I'll tell you why I feel the way I feel. And if you think I'm wrong about any of that, I'll explain my thoughts behind it. Um, Thursday Night Football is going to be tomorrow night. It's a terrible game. It's the Raiders against the Rams. Um, if I am Amazon right now, I should be asking for my money back because, and I know that's a joke that a lot of people have said already, but I mean, they have a checked out Al Michaels who doesn't care at all. And these matchups have been so bad. Um, but I guess that the line would be Raiders minus six and a half. I'm still playing that game. Yes. Do we know if Baker's playing? Is Baker... After learning Sean McVay's offense yesterday, any worse than whoever their other option is at quarterback? Probably not. So just plug him in. Why not? Just play him. Um, the line actually is five and a half. It's not six and a half. So that means I have to take the Raiders. I don't feel great about it. I still think the Raiders, like I said, they could find a way. They are talented, but they can find a way to lose this game, even if it's Baker Mayfield, who got off the flight three hours ago uh, in L.A., um, if I had to bet right now, I would bet the under and let me look on FanDuel. The under is minus four and a half on FanDuel. And if you parlay that, because the line on FanDuel, I told you I use the ESPN pick'em lines, but if you parlay, parlay that with the line on FanDuel, which is plus six and a half. So the Rams plus six and a half parlayed with the under 44 and a half in the game gets you to plus 222 on FanDuel. That is my bet. Um, still for my picks and my pick segment, I'm going to take the Raiders minus five and a half, feel terrible about it. And, uh, but Hey, I'm hedging. So I have those two bets going. Should be fun for me uh, to watch that game. Maybe I'll put a ton of props on it, or maybe I'll just won't watch the game. Maybe there's a Knicks uh, or Rangers game on Thursday. I'll have to look that up. Uh, obviously coming up on Sunday, we'll have Sunday picks. Uh, I think there are six teams on a buy this week, uh, which is stupid for a week 14. That should be illegal. Um, and let me check that. Yes, uh, the Atlanta Falcons, that's number one. The Chicago Bears, number two. The Green Bay Packers, number three. The Indianapolis Colts, number four. The New Orleans Saints, number five. And the Washington Commanders, number six. Six teams on a buy in week 14. Like I said, that should be illegal. Um, but that is what is happening in the world of sports. I will talk to you guys on Friday. And this time, I'm actually going to have the episode out in time. And the reason I'm so confident about that is because I will be in the studio on Thursday night. So I will try and record there. Uh, and that way I can get the episode up in time. It apparently should be a shorter episode because, uh, well, I guess unless Aaron Judge does leave. And by the way, by the time I post this, Aaron Judge will be gone because that's how it works. Um, and that's just how it happens. I probably won't post it till a little bit later <laughs> in the morning. And with my luck, I am assuming that Aaron Judge, by the time I post this, will be a San Francisco Giant, uh, in which case I'll have to put an open like I did when uh, he got benched and that whole thing, you know. Anyway, not the point. Um, so, until then, until next time, like I said, it might be a shorter episode next time because not as many games to pick with six teams on a bye in week 14. But until then, like, subscribe, share the podcast, follow us on social, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. I was watching my YouTube videos on my TV. I look great on 58-inch TV. Kind of looks awesome. Uh, yes, please share the episode. Please share the podcast. I appreciate everyone for listening. I mean it with my whole heart. Until next time, see ya. You were the best nights of my life. You. Got the light that always shines I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I 
breathe your air when I land in another city. I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones. Yeah, you're all I know. Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I change it all. Oh, oh, always on my Birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks yeah. on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be that one that's got My time's being just a kid with that empire state of mindset. Kick flipping off a blind deck, dipping from the New York City's finest. Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit, walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it. Even if I do, though, I can never hide it. Top down on the west side when I'm driving, east side be the only side of the